Welcome back to another episode of the Startup Therapy Podcast. This is Ryan Rutan, joined as always by Will Schroeder, my friend, founder, and CEO of startups.com. Will, the market is currently taking a giant shit on itself. <laughs> Nothing entirely new here, which I think is part of what we're going to talk about today. But yeah, things are looking pretty bleak right now. As startup founders, like, what do we need to know about this uh, historically? What should we be what should we be doing right now and and kind of how do we set ourselves for the future and what should we expect? Well, I mean the thing is Ryan, you and I've been through this multiple times. Couple and times. if you've been in startup land long enough and even if you've been around long enough to be through the 2001 crash, the dot com bust or the 2007-2008 financial meltdown, if you haven't been through it as a startup there's a very different version of it. There's a, a version like it. Some people, you know, they read the headlines and they say, oh, that sounds bad. I guess a bunch of rich people must have lost money. But if you're in the startup world, you rely on a lot of those rich people yes, to, to raise money. Those are your customers. This, a lot more of this affects you uh, in your business right away. The thing is, for a lot of folks, they've either never been through this cycle as a startup or they're just not old enough to have been through one of these cycles. In 2001, some of our listeners were born. Yeah. <laughs> so, so they have not been through these oh, cycles, right? Man, I feel it is old. what it is. Yep. So, well, it, it, just because we are. But the, the point is, I think let's first start kind of do a quick history lesson. And I think it's important because we've been here before. So none of this is unprecedented. You're like, oh my God, this has never happened before. COVID's never happened before. Markets melting down. Nah, we've kind of been through this one before. And we kind of know what it looks like. We know how to prepare for it. We know how to not prepare for it. And we know how, we get a, how we're affected. So why don't we start off with the first one that we kind of all dealt with, which was 2001.com crash. Ryan, as you remember it, what was life like before the crash? Oh, man, it was so exciting. I mean, everything was just going up and up and up. And we had drawn lines on, on all the charts. We had to get extra paper to put on top of your chart because the up and to the right graph went up so sharply, it wouldn't fit on a landscape sheet of paper. You actually had to put another one above it because things were going to go that way forever and ever and, and always. And there's no indication otherwise. No. And I mean, and money was was everywhere. Of course, you know, the, the, the startup scene wasn't what it is now in terms of the, the quantity, the number of investors and everything. But if you were looking for money and you had a reasonable startup idea and you could fog a mirror with your breath, you were probably going to have some thrown at you. I mean, raising was easier. You know, there was a lot going around and it was just great times, right? Until it wasn't. <laughs> Until it wasn't. <laughs> oh man. You know, we all got caught flat footed. It was the first time I'd ever heard of a financial crisis. I didn't know what they, they, they the same thing. I was 27 when it happened, right? Like I, I didn't know any better. And so when that whole thing imploded, I was like, what happened? And I remember exactly, I'm at the agency and I, again, had never been through this before. At this point, we've got like 10 million a month in payroll. And I say that because I was just like, well, only 10, right? Like, <laughs> like we're good. And I remember I get a call from Best Buy, one of our big clients at the time. And the client's like, yeah, man, you see what's happening in the markets? And I'm like, who cares? Right? Like, I'm like, and? Yeah. And he's like, well, yeah, well, obviously we're going to have to, uh, you know, put a pause in this project. And I'm like, wait, what? Huh? It, yeah, exactly. I was like, wait, huh? I didn't buy your stock. You just send me checks. Yeah, I know. What the hell? <laughs> and they just lit, lit up like a $5 million project with us. So I, we had a whole bunch of people on the project and all these things gone immediately. I'm like, oh, well, well, shit, that's not great. After that, every day, my phone's ringing again with another customer saying, just kidding, we're out. 
We had a, a client who will remain nameless, although they, are, they were a Fortune 500 pharmaceutical company who stiffed us on their bill, right? And this is how stuff gets. Like people don't see it. We've never even thought of it in a million years. They stiffed us on a $500,000 invoice, right? Not like a $1,500 invoice, no, right? No, which was all the money in the world for your company. And, and prior to this moment, sounds like a rounding error for a company that size. And yet, right, these, these dollar amounts become important. These are the things I think when people hear about the markets imploding, they, again, they think it's somebody else's problem. But today we're going to talk about why it's no, it's very much our problem. I'd never seen it before. So all of a sudden, the world turns on a dime. And I'm like, what the hell just happened? We go from having like 70 open positions to having to lay off 40 people like in 90 days. And you're seeing it everywhere right now. It's happening. I'm going to fast forward a few, few years after that. Market's correct. Things, good things happen. Companies like Google are born from this era, et cetera. Fast forward to 2007, 2008. Everybody gets a loan. Everybody gets a mortgage. You get a mortgage. Yep. And you get a mortgage. Yep. And you get Everybody. a mortgage. Some people get a couple. Yeah. <laughs> no money, no income loan, a ninja loan. So that obviously implodes. Financial meltdown of 2007, 2008. We were fortunate enough, and by fortunate, I mean unfortunate enough, to be fundraising for a high-risk consumer finance company at the dawn of the financial crisis. It looked like this. Prior to financial crisis, the world is going amazing. People were lining up to fund us. I mean, quite literally, people were lining up to fund us or trying to get in our deal. It was also at the dawn of party rounds where you started to do more than a few investors, where we had like 10 investors that wanted it. And it was awesome. We closed that round, fortunately. Right at the time, Lehman Brothers implodes. Everything, just total disaster, right? Six months later, we got to raise our next round. After having amazing metrics, <laughs> no one will touch us with a 10-foot pole. All of those people lining up, all the people that are in the deal, forgot who we were. Totally amnesia. <laughs> it's Yeah, that the, the landscape at that point had changed entirely. It was like going to Yellowstone National Park before the fire and after the fire. It's like, this is great. This is beautiful. It's abundant. And you go back after and it's just a wasteland, right? There's nobody, nobody handing out money at that point. Yeah. And so specifically in that case, like how did that end? Let's walk through that. I think this is a great illustration of what we may, and we, we don't know, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, right? We don't yet, but this is probably going to look a lot like what the next few months or maybe even years of fundraising are going to look like. So here's what happens within the market. And this is at a macroeconomic level. So let's like project that to today because it, it kind of applies. A couple things happened in the last 18 months, not even counting COVID for a second. I'm actually going to take COVID out of it because that's just such a straw man, right? A couple things happened. 50 companies plus, more than that, went IPO on the NASDAQ. Almost across the board, they all tagged. And these were not only good companies, these were good companies across every possible field. It wasn't like it was just one. Right, uh, right. You know, industry, just it wasn't SaaS the dot-com thing, right? Where there was a consistency in industry there, yeah, that caused some of the trouble. Everything from fashion to crypto to dating to like, you name it, right? All over the place. They all imploded. And at first, you look at that and go, okay, well, that's odd. Like, why would that matter? Here's why it mattered. Because in this last cycle, a couple huge players entered the market by the names of SoftBank, who you've, you've heard of in much detail through WeWork. But more recently- Softer you, by the day is their new softer slogan. Softer by I the heard. day, softer by the day. <laughs> and uh, Tiger Global. Why does this matter? Why, like, why does anybody you know, listening care about this? It matters because when it comes to fundraising, this all maps back to an outcome. And that outcome is IPO or big sale. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to have it, 
but we get to attract high risk capital because we might, because that lottery ticket might exist and people are willing to, to make dumb bets, dumb, irrational bets because it might be that one. Well, the good folks at the Vision Fund and at Tiger Global raised an unprecedented amount of money Insane to help fuel that dream. And it changed the game. The reason investing got so crazy was because not only were there you know, more people out there with, with funds, but there were more people at the end of the line, not just IPO, to help buy out stakes to create liquidity. So somebody like a, a SoftBank could create liquidity at Uber, could create liquidity at WeWork, even before they won IPO. I can't overstate how important that was for the rest of us fundraising because it gave all the people at the beginning, the people we're about to ask for money from, hope. It gave them a much, and it started to create outcomes. People were taking money off the table. People were getting rich. And when people get rich, things get frothy. And that's good for us as founders, or at least we think. We think so, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> and yet. And yet. <laughs> everybody could raise, everybody did raise, right? And I'm not saying it was easy, but it's easier that it's been a long time. Valuations doubled, tripled in some cases. Things got nutty. Just look at the round sizes. I mean, what what was a, a Series D is now like, well, we did a a, a fairly large pre-seed round. Uh, you know, like, wow. Yeah, yeah, like, like a $4 million pre-seed round. So things got nutty. But here's where it all fell apart. And this is where it starts to really matter to us. Things broke at the top. The IPOs imploded. The people behind the IPOs, SoftBank and Tiger Global imploded. Tiger Global just released what was one of the most the worst, most disappointing hedge fund earnings of all time, right? I mean, they are going to set a record for failure, right? And which is horrible, by the way, that affects all of us. Because of that, all the investors down the line get real gun shy. The investors you're probably talking to, those high net worth angel investors, they just watch their portfolios get eviscerated. Then all the investments they just made in these, these crazy startup companies had their exit market taken away from them. Nobody's saying, man, you'll be great right now. Let me go risk some of my personal capital <laughs> yeah. on high-risk startups. Yeah. And I'm not saying nobody does it. There's funds that just raised their fund and they've got committed capital and they're writing checks, right? Don't stop asking. Just understand what just happened. The pixie dust just got blown away. It sure did. <laughs> Right. They got they got the outcome they wanted in terms of, of what happened. Right. So that we got to that place we wanted to be. We IPO'd. Everything's great. This is exactly what we're after. But the follow on, which is that then it stabilizes, continues to grow and we get rich from doing this, didn't happen. Right. So this is kind of like saying, hey, uh, keep planting seeds, water, weed, do all these things, grow your garden, spend all that time out there. By the way, none of these things are ever going to bear flowers or fruit. Right. But do all the work anyways. Right. It, it becomes a very hard ask. Very different situation. We're fueled by that hope. This entire industry is fueled by that future because it's such a high risk industry. We're trying to make dreams happen. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. I want to I want to hold I want to hold on that for a second. Yes, but right. So what we're talking about now, when you say industry, you're talking about not just the startup industry as a whole. You're talking about that portion of it that is focused on VC funding. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, I'd expect, but I hear what you're saying. That is the high-risk capital that, that we're talking about. But take uh, what I was talking about at the top of the episode, which was where I was at the agency. Yeah. Oh, there's plenty of other fallout there. Plenty of other fallout, right? And so there's just less money to go around. So then we have to think about it as, the, as founders. How does it affect us? Okay, all that sounds horrible. Great clouds everywhere. How does it affect me? It affects us in two ways. I just want to dig into both of them. The first is that it affects us in terms of trying to raise capital. 
or getting access to capital, et cetera. And that's kind of what we leaned on. And the second one, per my example at the beginning, is we have less customers, right? Things are about to get gnarly. We've got two ways to put money in the bank. We raise it from investors, we get it from customers. Both of those are getting cleared out. Now you might say, oh, that's not true. I mean, that's an investor problem. I got plenty of customers and they got cash. Give it a second. <laughs> Give it a second. Because what you're seeing right now is the flash in the mushroom cloud in the distance. And you're like, ah, that's far away. That won't affect me. Yeah. Mm, it Here takes a second. the confessive yeah. <laughs> ring. But it does happen. And it's really difficult. So let's walk into each of those. Ryan, when you think in terms of investors pulling back, how do you picture that affecting each of the, the startups in their own ways, like at all levels? I mean, well, it, yeah, at all levels. <laughs> that's, that's exactly it, right? So from just an access to capital, right, it becomes harder. The, the terms often change, right? So even terms, when you point. do find yeah. money, the likelihood that it's going to be at these really rosy pixie dust level terms, it's not there, right? It's not going to happen. Yeah. A lot of other things start to happen, right? It's, I don't know, man, like it, it's sort of everything, everything at once, like the access to capital becomes much harder. The terms get worse, which make your likelihood of being able to succeed under those terms that much harder, which makes it even harder to get to that final pixie dust land and drive those outcomes, right? So everybody's just far more sober about what's going on. And this impacts us at, at kind of every level, right? I, where I don't see it as much is is with you know within the really early stage stuff the friends family credit cards right that's all still pretty much there roughly those same levels but not always right and people are are more hesitant and or and this is kind of a secondary effect of the markets collapsing other things happen right so things like hard assets become cheaper right and all of a sudden you've got other places you can put your money real estate collapses that becomes very attractive for people right they're like well i had cash and i was thinking about putting it as something high risk but now housing's at a 50% discount. Guess I'll go do that because we have plenty of, of historical yeah. precedent. Or Netflix is 60% cheaper than it was yes, three weeks right. ago. All of a sudden, and this is what I said, you know, this was how I felt. I was in cash when the COVID collapse happened. It was like buying stocks at a discount warehouse. Everything was 60, 70, 80% off. Didn't have to be smart, just had to have money, right? And because everything was going to recover to some degree. I was going to say, there's, there's another part to consider too. You know, something that's really funny about everything we talk about here is that none of it is new. Everything you're dealing with right now has been done a thousand times before you, which means the answer already exists. You may just not know it, but that's okay. That's kind of what we're here to do. We talk about this stuff on the show, but we actually solve these problems all day long at groups.startups.com. So if any of this sounds familiar, stop guessing about what to do. Let us just give you the answers to the test and be done with it. How things change, how the dynamics change when you are a funded company. And now all of a sudden, the folks within the company, I'm talking your board, your existing investors, shit changes very fast. Because the first thing they're, they're saying is, well, Five minutes ago, you're going to go raise more money in, in an up round, et cetera. Now, the probability you're going to do that is almost zero, right? Or very low, which means whatever runway you have left is what you have left. We raise, when we raise funding for folks that, that haven't done this much, we raise for 12 to 18 month milestones. We don't raise for the rest of the lifespan of the company. It just doesn't work that way. So we're intentionally saying we're raising to get to a milestone. When we get to that milestone, we're then going to go raise more money. It's the nature of the fundraise business. Now, all of a sudden, that next milestone doesn't exist. There's no lily pad to jump onto, right? And so our investors come, come at us. And with all the provisions that were about governance and control and all the things we didn't think we'd have to deal with, 
these all start showing up. You start finding out about what's in those operating agreements, right? And they're looking for downside protection. They're looking to get defensive. And that's usually not a very positive conversation for us as founders, where, they, where all the investors are trying to basically batten down the hatches and we're trying to grow a business. Now, it doesn't mean we can't respond positively and do something about it, but these are gnarly times now. And things start to get a bit heated because when people are losing money, they're not cool about it. And this, this is when all this, this investor tension starts to really bubble to the surface. For sure. And another area that I see this uh, that startups get impacted from things like this, we saw this at the beginning of COVID as well, talent acquisition becomes harder and not for the, the, the obvious reasons, right? The non-obvious. When you want to join a startup, right? If you're, let's go early stage. We're not talking funded startup now, we're talking early stage. Oftentimes you're bringing people on at a pay cut or maybe, you know, it's, you're bringing somebody on for equity and they're foregoing cash for a period of time. When everything's rosy and maybe it's a dual income household and there's no worries about, you know, financial markets collapse your 401k just got cut in half. People can make those decisions. Those decisions get a lot harder to make when there's extreme financial uncertainty and or just outright collapse, right? And so this can make talent acquisition a lot harder. On one hand, there may be more people in the market as a whole, but can they accept what you have to offer? And I see the early stage startups get beat up around this stuff very frequently anytime there's some uncertainty like this in the market. And that's yeah, that can be really, really hard to work around at those early stages. We've talked about this before. The business is the people, right? So if you can't get the right people in the mix, going forward can be really tough. You also get in a situation where you're looking at our, my customer capital, you know, revenue. And I said, no, nah, I think I'm okay. People are, you know, nothing's changed there. Not true. As soon as you start seeing layoffs, that's the early warning system for all of this. When you start seeing layoffs, two things are happening. Big companies, I'm just going to focus on the big company side. Big companies are clearly tightening the reins, which means they are going to spend less. So if they're your customer, that's a problem. All the people they're laying off or cutting back on also have less money. So if they're your customer, that's also a problem. In cases like this, where basically the whole world is tightening up, there is less money in circulation. I don't care what business you're in. Any business that was essentially going to get some sort of discretionary spending, short of you being a power company, right, like a true utility, you become a question as to whether or not they're going to keep spending that money. When we plan for the future based on the past, and we say, hey, everything was fine. My MRR is $50,000 a month. I'm good. Shouldn't be a problem. And then all of a sudden, this funny thing happens. It's not always as dramatic as what I described at the agency. Funny thing happens. All of a sudden, it's 49000 a month. And you're like, oh, okay, well, you know, maybe it's just a down month. And then all of a sudden, it doesn't go up, but then it goes down to 47000 a month. You're like, well, okay, 3000 we can adjust it. And before you know it, by the end of the year, you're at 26000 And it's death by a 1,000 paper cuts. And you didn't see it coming because you didn't understand what was happening. These changes, some of them are big and dramatic, like you know, somebody does a massive layoff, et cetera, right. or tired 50% of our down. revenues cut. Yeah, yeah, right? But the real effect, the real net effect for all of this is tiny. It's just a nonstop assault of tiny. And as founders, we don't see it. We see it in little ways at first, but it takes us a while to get our arms around kind of the net effect. Well, it's funny, but sometimes those things are so small, they almost feel reassuring right? They feel reassuring because they're small. It's like, ah, it was only two or 3%, right? And we don't assume that that's going to compound. I, yeah. I think one of the hardest things to navigate is we have these little changes or, or big changes. It's, it's not necessarily that it leads to the outright collapse and failure. Where I see founders struggle is that they don't adjust the mentality. They don't adjust the planning for the new context, right? It's like, okay, yeah, we didn't outright fail, 
but we're probably going to have to change how we're thinking about how the business is going to grow. The trajectory just changed, and now we have to strongly adjust for that. And when that's out of our control, right, when it wasn't a trajectory change that we have a lot of control over, right? It's again, like your customer base just lost 20% of their income. So you're going to eventually lose 20% of yours. Those can be really, really hard to factor in when you've predicated your entire existence as a startup for the last three, four, five, whatever years it is on a specific path and trajectory. And now the market no longer supports that. It takes a lot of rethinking to, to recalibrate and move forward. Yeah. And the, the first step is, hey, we have to switch to defense. Defense isn't fun. Defense sucks, right? And they say, oh, defense doesn't win games. Well, right about now, if you don't play, you will lose, right? And so, so what does that specifically look like? The first thing smart companies do is a hiring freeze. And they said, you know what? We're not going to add any long-term liabilities there. I would have also said that they cut out office space, but we kind of did that two years ago. <laughs> yep. right? so the it's world kind of did that for us. But we're immediately putting like a, the shred to anything that we can put the brakes on. Not because we're not trying to grow or we don't believe in the business, because we need a minute to find out exactly what happened. That 49,000 to 47,000 to 36,000, et cetera, it won't happen overnight. And that's the problem. If we don't prepare for it, if we look at this and say, oh, it's just a, it's just a, a drop coming out of the ceiling, I, that won't add up to much. No, the first few drops aren't a problem. <laughs> but before you know it, you realize that, that the, uh, the tub in the, in the bathroom above you is falling through, right? But that's where you start to see it. And so we have to act early. We have to act fast. Does it mean we have to cut our staff in half? In some cases, yes, but uh, let's assume we don't for a second. At the very least, we need to be prepared. We need to be over-prepared. You know what's funny, Ryan? At the beginning of COVID, which based on when we're recording this was about two years ago, we sent exactly this email to our entire staff, all 200 people. We said, look, we've been here before. We know exactly what's about to happen. Now, I got to admit, I'm shocked it took two years for this to actually materialize into the implosion that we're about to go through. Yeah. Yeah. The rate of change on this was way slower than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. I think we all braced for a much faster decline. Yeah. But we even did an episode on this and we had a very specific message to our staff. Our message was this. And I think this is something that, that our founders can take away. Number one, here's what's changed in the market. Here's what it used to be. Here's what it is today. Here's where it'll probably go. We will be okay if we take these measures. With that said, all the things that you expected or felt entitled to yesterday, all of us, you know, from founders all, you know, all the way through the org, are off the table. We have to kind of reset and look at where things are and plan to get through this. You bet. You bet. We are going from offense to defense for as long as we need to in order to see this through. All we care about is runway. All that matters right now. It's not how big we can grow, how fast we can grow, et cetera. We need runway because right now, everything is going to implode, right? The, <laughs> the tidy bowl man is swirling the toilet. <laughs> we just want to <laughs> not be the first person that goes down with them. And so we got to hang on. This is, this is all about defense right now. And so we're going to go be lean on staff. We're going to be lean on expenses. We're going to be a little less aggressive on maybe some of our marketing or sales or you know, other things that might grow our company. But it's not because we believe in it less. It's because we genuinely believe in what the market conditions are telling us. And we want to be around right? <laughs> we yeah, we keep talking about this, this, right? Like that luxury of time and, and, you know, being able to weather a storm like this is, is massive. And you pulled a couple examples earlier, Will, but it, you know, when we saw, you know, these situations tend to be a really, really good crucible in the startup space, the really strong companies, the companies who batten down hatches, you know, circle the wagons, whatever you want to call it, weather the storm, come out of these things stronger, 
better, right? There's a bit of a a bit of a, a brush fire effect here where there's some cleanup done, right? Some of the the weaker competitors get weeded out of the market, and and the ones that stick around are in great shape after the fact. And the overfunded ones, right? You know, the, the ones who overshot it. And by the way, a lot of times, you know, people like to pick on the overfunded companies. We forget that at the time, what they were doing made the most amount of sense at the time when the conditions were what they were, when when they were you know heading into the into the distance, and all of a sudden it didn't look like there were storm clouds on the horizon. <laughs> they looked behind them like, oh shit, that's a problem. And so yes, those folks get hit pretty hard, right? And that's part of this. But everybody sobers up, everybody gets down to business, and frankly, we become better companies because we're doing most of the stuff we were probably supposed to be doing all along. <laughs> yeah, sober and re- in reasonable times. So the way I look at this is the downturn is tough. It's tough if we don't recognize it, number one. If we don't say, look, this actually happened and all these things that are happening, they will affect me. If if we don't consider that, if we don't plan for that, we're in a difficult spot. Number two, it is a good time to clean house. It is a good time to be able to get everything in order and prepare for a, a nuclear winter, if you will, because we'll build a better company from it. And then from the outset, when all this passes and it always passes, We'll be much tighter of a company. We'll have much more chance of success than we've actually ever had before. So in addition to all the stuff related to founder groups, you've also got full access to everything on startups.com. That includes all of our education tracks, which will be funding, customer acquisition, even how to manage your monthly financers. There's so much stuff in there. All of our software, including BizPlan for putting together detailed business plans and financials, LaunchRock for attracting early customers, and of course, Fundable for attracting investment capital. When you log into the startups.com site, you'll find all of these resources available.